So uh, actually, I want to share a little bit about my personal kind of spiritual experience growing up. Um, so I grew up in a Korean Presbyterian church, you know, like some of you guys. And um, my experience was very uh, conservative. That's probably the best way to put it, um, both in theology and in basically in, in practice as well. Like, for example, uh, when, you know, growing up in church, like, we didn't have drums for a long time. And I remember I actually played drums when I was in a uh, in, in youth group. And um, I used to have these conversations with my parents about it. Like, I'll be like, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just drums. It's like not a, it's like nothing, there's no, no big deal about it. But my parents would say like, no, you know, it's, it's like demonic, you know, it could lead to like, like dancing and stuff. And like, there's all these kinds of, it can open the door to like all these weird, like evil kind of spiritual things. And I was like, really? Like one time when uh, I was in college, we actually, so this whole time when I was growing up, we didn't have drums. This is, it sounds weird, like, that I'm even talking about this, but this was actually, like, a big deal, I remember at the time. So, like, uh, you know, one time we, we brought drums. You know, we just had them. We didn't have them before. All of a sudden, one day, we just had them, and, uh, you know, somebody, like, played them. I remember, I, I think I was a freshman in college, and um, in our EM, we, we had that, and then the senior pastor, like, came in. He, like, stormed in, and he was like, who brought this here, <laughs> you know? And it was, like, this really big deal. And so that was the, that was kind of like my background. That's where I came from. And while I was in high school during my kind of formative, uh, Christian period, I met these friends and they all went, they were like, all my Christian friends at school, they were assemblies of God. Okay. So if you don't know, that's a little bit more theologically, like, I guess I would say liberal. And so, uh, well, even that's not even necessarily true, but they're more charismatic. Okay. So. Uh, and if you, we'll talk about kind of like defining these terms better in today's message. But uh, for now, I'll just say like there are more charismatics. I used to, I would go to their church and they would like, for one thing, it, worship was like a lot more expressive. And I'm like, oh, this is like cool. So I loved it. You know, it's like people would be like jumping up and down and stuff. And they'd be like lifting their hands and people would be like crying and so or like on their knees. And I'm like, this is awesome, you know. This is so different from kind of how worship is at my church. And so I really love that experience. And then there would be like people would speak in tongues. You know, so they would just kind of say these, these utterances that weren't really discernible. Um, people would prophesy. So they would come and they would just like, you know, it's just open prayer time. Kind of the like Korean open prayer time. People are just praying out loud. And then people would come by and they would like put their hands on you. And they would just say like, hey, you know, the... God is telling me something about you. And they would, like, prophesy over you. Um, and people would manifest in the spirit where they would kind of, like, shake or convulse, like, involuntarily. People would laugh in the spirit. So they would just kind of be, like, kind of laughing uncontrollably, you know, somewhere in their seats or, like, in the whatever. So, like, this was this. Now, I so I didn't I never had grown up in that kind of experience. So experiencing it, for one thing, was kind of scary. I was like, dude, what's going on? And then a, a other, uh, another part of me was just kind of like confused, like, okay, what is this all about? Now, I'm, ta I'm talking a lot about this because I want you to know where I'm coming from. So like when I was a senior in high school, I had this experience with these, this group of friends. Uh, it was like a friend's birthday party. 
one of the girls started prophesying, and she's like, okay, tomorrow we have to go to, we have to go to school, and we have to, like, evangelize. We're going to, like, do this thing, and we all have to fast tomorrow. So I was like, okay. I was just, like, freaked out, and, but I, I just, I was like, okay, this is what we have to do. And she sang, we were in two separate cars, and while I was in, me and a couple of my other friends were more, I'll just say we were more skeptical we're in this one car, and then the other people who were less skeptical were in the other car. And in our car, we're like, dude, what's going on? Like, what is this? Is this for real? And we're, like, saying stuff. And then when we came out of the cars, we came to the same location. Uh, the people in the other car, the girl who was, like, prophesying, she told us, like, oh, you guys need to stop doubting. You know, and, like, I know, like, what you guys were, like, saying, basically, when you were in the car. And then we were, like, all freaked out. We're, like, okay, what the heck? <laughs> like, how does she know, like, what we were talking about when she's in the other car? Like, you know, so we're all, we're all scared. I don't want to get, like, too much into it, but we went to somebody's house, and we cast out a bunch of demons, okay? That's what happened first that night. The next day, we went to school. This girl was manifesting in the spirit the whole time, right? So she is, like, like, and I had, like, you know, several periods with her, and she's, like, doing it, and the teachers are, like, what's going on? Like, is she okay? And I'm just, like, I don't know what to say, right? Because <laughs> I'm, like, one, I don't even have that much experience with this, and two, it's, like, we're in school, so I don't know what to say. I'm just, like, she's not feeling well, <laughs> you know? Can she, like, can she go to the nurse and stuff? And, like, and then she's saying stuff all throughout the day, like, oh, you got to do this. Like, we have to do this. She's telling us what, like, gifts we have, you know, at lunchtime, we did this whole, like, evangelism thing. So all of this stuff happens. The end of the day, one of our advisors, we were all in Christian club. One of our advisors for Christian club, who is also charismatic, but he's, like, you know, a lot older than us. And so he has a lot more experience with a lot of these things. Everything was in secret because that was part of the, the thing, like the command that we had received from this girl or God or whatever it was. And then the, the advisor told us afterwards, he's like, this is kind of like what you guys are talking about. It doesn't sound like it's from God, right? And he had a lot of experience with, you know, in the charismatic church, but he was very, like, a strong Christian. He's more mature than us, obviously. And he actually said, this actually sounds more like the work of a controlling demon. That's what he said, right? So at that point, I was freaked out. I'm like, all right, well, that was... Like, what are we doing then? Like, what's going on? So after that, for like, probably like 10 years, okay, I never thought about this again. I was like, okay, I'm never doing this again. Because this was just, I don't know what the heck this was, but it was bad. Like, whatever it was, it was weird. I don't feel like it was from God. And now all these people, we had like drama with all these people in like Christian club because they were confused. And we're like, okay. I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I just never thought about it. I picked my view, what my theological view was, which was not charismatic from that point. And I was just like, that's just what it's going to be, right? Now, I don't know where you are personally, but I think for a lot of us, we don't really know, like we don't understand the theology behind the views, Right. So if you're like me, at least how I was at that point, 
you probably haven't really studied the views. You probably don't really know what the Bible has to say. And much of what you think is just based on your experience. Right? Either you have experienced certain things, and that leads you to think that one way is right, or you haven't experienced certain things, and that leads you to be skeptical. That is, and I'm just, I'm making that assumption, but I think for many of us here, we probably don't really know what the Bible has to say or, or even what the biblical logic is behind many of these things. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to try to, I'm going to try my best. I basically read like a 350-page book this week to brush up <laughs> on this subject. And um, obviously, we can't go through everything. Uh, I'm going to actually even kind of reduce it down to three views. And there are more than three views, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to narrow it down to three views. One is the cessationist view, which is the view that the miraculous gifts have ceased, and so they don't exist anymore. Things like prophecy, healing, tongues, you know, these kind of things do not exist anymore. Uh, one is called... Well, I'm going to group it all together into just what's a charis- called a charismatic view. But there are many kind of views even within there. There's like a Pentecostal view. There's something called the third wave view. But I'm just going to keep the parts of those that are common. And I'm going to make it into one view called the charismatic view. And then one is going to be what's called the open but cautious view. It does not sound very convicted. But it is, in fact, the view that <clears throat> we have essentially at this church. And so I will talk about what that means. And so if you guys have your Bibles, okay, we're going to look at like several passages today. There's kind of three main passages we'll look at. One is from Acts 2. This is Pentecost, right? And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Acts 2. And we're going to see as we go through some of these passages, I'm going to try to explain what the differing views are on these passages. And then... Um, ultimately, we'll talk about kind of, uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys kind of what view I have and why, and then we'll get to some kind of implications at the end. But So this is Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1. This is Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. And so this is Acts 2. This is God's word. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and as this sound and i'm sorry and at this and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language right so what's happening is this is after jesus has ascended to heaven remember he's like go and wait for me you know go to jerusalem wait for me and i'm going to send the holy spirit to come to you and so they're waiting there and then on the day of pentecost this is what happens the holy spirit comes There's uh, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house where they were. And then it says, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So depending on what your theological view is, you're going to read that a certain way. Some people think it's like tongues of fire. 
Some people think that something that looked like a, a tongue that was on fire appeared. But in any case, what happens is then all of them start speaking in what the Bible calls tongues. And really, that word also is going to have some theological debate. Some people are going to think that means they were speaking indecipherably. Some people think that in the Bible and other people are going to say that the word tongues, when it appears in the Bible, really just refers to other languages. Now, in this passage, it's clear that whatever they're saying is being understood by other people in their own language. Right? So they're saying one thing, just one thing, not speaking in a particular language, but everybody is hearing in their own language somehow. So that, that's crazy, right? Like, that's miraculous just to say something. And if there are a bunch of people here and some people speak, you know, like Spanish and French and, you know, Korean and, like, Chinese and, like, Japanese, you know, whatever. Everybody, you know, everyone's speaking totally different languages, but everyone is understanding in their own language, which is amazing, right? So that's what's happening you know, verse 7, it says, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is that that we hear each of us in his own native language? So now they're kind of confirming that point, right? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. So they're, they're talking about God, they're praising God, and somehow everyone is hearing in their own language. Now, here's what some of the differing views would say about this passage and this moment. Now, cessationists, the cessationist view is the view that all revelatory gifts, so that includes prophecy and its assessment, tongues and their interpretation, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, that they were confined to this time, what's called the apostolic age, so while apostles were still alive, and now they have ceased with the completion of the canon. So what they'll say is things like this, okay, these kinds of miraculous moments, and Pentecost in particular, when Pentecost happened, it was part of salvation history. So it's this historical moment. God's doing something special in that moment. And that's not something that's meant to be, like, repeated. So God's just doing this special thing. He did this special thing at this special time. Obviously, beginning of the New Testament, the things that are recorded in the New Testament were happening, so they didn't have the New Testament. So because those things are being recorded, God gave these special gifts, what's called revelatory gifts, which is like prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues, and... Um, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, which is kind of like special knowledge, like knowing something about someone. You know, these things were just confined to this time. That's what uh, cessationists would say. And then what uh, charismatics would say is that the these these things, so it, it kind of depends. I, I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit. But what I'll say is what a big, a large group of charismatics would say is that what happened at Pentecost, it was special, right, of course, because it was the first time that the Holy Spirit was coming, but it's kind of a, like, repeatable thing. And in fact, what, everything that happens in the book of Acts is normal. It's like the way that the church is supposed to be. Right? So, you know, like, crazy things happen in Acts, right? Like people get healed, 
like left and right. Like somebody touches, they said Peter's shadow could heal, heal somebody. I don't even know what the heck that means, right? But somebody's like walking in his shadow and somehow they got healed. Like Paul's handkerchief, you know, is able to heal somebody. Like there's times where there's groups of people in Acts 5, they all come to be healed and every single person gets healed there. Right? Remember Ananias and Sapphira, that story, they lied about selling the land and then they come and the Holy Spirit says, you know, like Peter's like, how could you lie? Like you're not lying to me, but you're lying to God. And then boom, they die, right? Like on the spot. So some of those things are kind of crazy, right? And you would think, I don't know if that's supposed to happen all the time throughout the life of the church. Cessationists would say that was particular to that time period. And many charismatics would say that's normal. That's what the life of the church is supposed to be like generally all the time. So like kind of like the spirit is doing a lot of stuff. Now, um, the open but conscious view, I really don't like that terminology, but it is the it is the terminology of the view, so I'm going to keep it there for now, and maybe we'll talk about it. We can rename it later. But um, the open but conscious view is the view that it is a continuist view, so they're cessationist and continuous. Cessationist means that those gifts have stopped. Continuous means that those gifts are still here today, uh, but... So, so the open Makash view is that those gifts still are here today, like prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues and healing and, uh, you know, the word, of, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. So those things do still exist, but it's what happens in Acts is not normal for the church today. So it does draw a distinction that at that early stage when God was building the church, something different was happening. And then later on, now there's kind of a, a, a new normal. The, the gifts still carry on, but there is a slightly different normal. Now, there's, there's some reasons for that. Well, we'll look, at, we'll look at another passage here. This is Ephesians 4. So we'll see again how people kind of see this. This is uh, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. So it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay, so, again, depending on your view, you will read this in a different way. So the way cessationists read this, so this, this is about the work of Christ. Right? I don't want to get too much into it. Essentially, it's saying that Christ is the one who is giving these gifts. Right? And the, the word gifts kind of lends to the idea of spiritual gifts. And he's saying these gifts here, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building of the body of Christ. Now, the way that cessationists read this is that this is a, a historical description of the church. So that these apostles had to come first, 
And that was a gift. But now that gift no longer exists, right? The gift of apostleship, because the apostles in the Bible were people who saw Jesus, right? So you got, you know, obviously the 12 disciples, you have Paul and kind of his special encounter with Jesus. So those are the apostles. They were given special authority. And obviously this is true. They were given special authority to write the Bible. We have what's called now a closed canon. Everybody, all all the views believe this. Everyone that's Christian, at least, believes this, that you can't add anything to the Bible now, right? It's completely closed. So even if you get, you know, so even charismatics, you know, within Christianity, if they believe that they've gotten some word from God, it cannot contradict the Bible, right? If it does, then you have veered outside of Christianity, and then you've gone to, like, the cult level where there's people who say, like, oh, I, I've received, like, a special word from God that's, like, outside of the Bible, That's basically how, like, Mormons got started. You know, that's essentially, there's, like, 50 cults in Korea. That's, they all do that same thing, right? It's just a guy who just says, like, I got a special word from God, and it's outside of the Bible, but it's a special, different word. And then a bunch of people, like, start believing that. And so everybody would say, essentially, that apostleship, as as the gift that it is in the Bible, is no longer. Right, so this is part of why cessationists think they have the right view, because if that has ceased, then why would we think that the gifts, the other revelatory gifts, still exist? Right? Charismatics uh, uh, essentially would not view it that way. They would say that apostleship as a gift still continues, even though we can't add anything to the Bible. But then you kind of have a weird problem there, because it's kind of like if you can't add anything to the Bible... How does that gift still exist, or what is the purpose of it? And there's not a great, I'll just be honest, there's not a great answer to that question. Um, Essentially, Open Makashis would say that apostleship, in the sense of adding to the Bible, definitely is gone, so that's not really a gift. But we take this as less historical, more like organizational for the church. So what Paul is actually talking about is he's saying that these teaching gifts exist to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the body of Christ. Now, we'd all agree that it's kind of this idea of uh, mature manhood, this idea of growing into Jesus, is not something that we've attained, right? The church in general, so not just our church, but any church out there or the whole church combined, we haven't become like the fullness of our maturity in Jesus. So that's something that's going to happen later. And so as long as that hasn't happened, then these get the... This idea of just teaching gifts in general and the building up of the body, that's going to continue on. Now, there's, there's one more passage I want to go over, but we'll go over it in a little bit. Because um, I want to talk a little bit about just like some of the implications of everything that, that we've talked about so far. And these are kind of like things we agree on, essentially. With all the, and I'd say, I said this last week, right, about compliment, the complementarian position. Um, you know, like I have friends who are egalitarian and I totally respect them and they're, you know, Christian and all that stuff. Like we, we love each other. We'll debate about this stuff, but they're not outside the church. They're not, not Christian, anything like that. Right. And I'd say the same thing for this, right? I have friends who are cessationists. I have friends who are open, I have friends who are charismatic and we all agree on a lot of the major stuff. This is one of the kind of 
open-handed theology things. It's not a closed-hand issue. Uh, it's not like you're not saved or something if you believe one of these things. Now, here's what, and here's part of what we all agree on, okay? So here's implication number one, something that we all should know, okay? We need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working together in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working together in our lives. And I have to say that because what a lot of cessationists will say is that function, or I'm sorry, what a lot of open but cautious people would say is that functionally they are cessationists, right? Meaning they believe that those gifts exist, but they don't really think about them or interact with them at all. Right, so they kind of believe, and what a lot of cessationists would say is that they, even if they don't believe the gifts exist, they still believe, obviously, God can do anything. So God could still heal somebody. God could still just give somebody a word. It's just the gift that doesn't exist. But what they would say is, a lot of cessationists would, would admit this, is that, but they're very just skeptical about the Holy Spirit in general. Right, so they don't really think about the Holy Spirit as part of their lives. They think about the Bible. They read the Bible, they think about the Bible, they read books about the Bible, but their interaction with the Holy Spirit in their own personal spiritual life is minimal, very small, right? Now, here's the thing. The Bible tells us one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to help us understand the Bible. So if the Holy Spirit's not part of our lives as we study the Bible— then we're not really going to get the Bible. We're not really going to be convicted by the Bible. You know, here's, here's, these are some passages from John. It's not going to be up there, but I'm just going to read it to you. This is John 14, 26. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. John 15, 26. But when the, ho- the Helper comes, again, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Right? This is John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin through the Word. So, In our interaction with prophecy, I'll say it from both sides, okay? Because I do think, I think prophetic gifts still exist. I think tongues still exist. Interpretation, you know, word of, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. A lot of that's based on, I mean, it's because that's what I see in Scripture. There is no clear Scripture that says these gifts don't exist anymore. And also, part of because of my own personal experience. But what I'll say on on the one side is it can't ever disagree with the Bible. Right. right? So any of that stuff, and the Bible actually tells us, you know, first John forces test the spirits. So anytime you find anything or you encounter something like that, we should certainly test the spirits. And what I would say in caution to kind of if we have a more charismatic bent, this is what I would say. 
I do not think Pentecost is the normative way that the church is supposed to function. So I don't think that really acts, basically, is prescriptive for the church for all time. I think it's descriptive of what happened in one particular time. Now, the reason that that matters to us, and this is for all of us, it doesn't matter if you're charismatic or not, right? Because, or if you, have, if you lean that way or not, because what we tend to think is, like you read Acts, and then you think like, why isn't the church like that? Right? Like, oh man, this is just kind of how we think about our lives. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with my life? In fact, do you know that that's how cults get people into the cult? It's mostly people who are jaded with church, and then they say, you know what? Yeah, that church, church isn't right. It's not real. Did they really, like, love you? Did they really care about you? They have a technique called love bombing. It's where they will be with you all the time. Like, and if, you ever, if you've ever, like, had any experience with that, or if you've had friends, you know, who have ever had experience, like, you can't even get to them. You know, and we, you know, I've dealt with this actually many times in the past, like interacted with people who are in a cult and I've tried to just like meet up with them. I'm like, let's just grab lunch. And they're like, I can't because like they're, you know, quote unquote, like disciples, like with them, like 24 seven, like nonstop, essentially controlling them all the time. And they think, you know, sadly it's, it's based on this idea that like, isn't that the way that's, isn't that normal? Shouldn't someone be like loving me and shouldn't I be with my discipler like 24-7? Like this idea that has led them to this really unhealthy kind of relationship with scripture, with God and with like other people that because they've, they've come to just like base their assumptions on that idea. And it's, it's so bad, right? Like it's, it is why, it is why a lot of people like leave the faith. It's why they join cults. It's this fundamental consumer line of thinking, like, why isn't it better? You know, why aren't people nicer? Like, why isn't it? In fact, you remember last week I was telling you guys about the, the pyramid scheme people who are chasing me around, you know, at Target? It's like, that's what they do too, by the way, right? It's like this really consumerist, like, they, they, cause they kept saying what, what the couple kept, if you weren't here last week, sorry, but go listen to it. But you know, um, they they they're chasing me down and they're like, yeah, but you know, we're going to retire at like 35 and like, don't you want that? Like, don't you want this life? And you know, I'm really bad to ask that question to because I'm just like, not really. Like, I don't know. They're like, but don't you want to like be retired and just enjoy your life and like travel the world? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, I, not really. Like, that doesn't sound very that appealing to me, to be honest, just to be honest. And, and then they're kind of like, oh, um, okay. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know what else to say because, like, you're supposed to say yes to that, right? Like, you're supposed to be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And I was just kind of like, I mean, not really because I'd probably rather, even if I didn't get paid, I'd probably, if I was taken care of, I'd still want to do what I'm doing now. And so, you know, I was just kind of, I don't know. But, but that's really, for us, I feel like this is a danger for us in church sometimes, this idea that, Oh, isn't that the way that it's supposed to be? No, I think um, rather than maybe thinking like, oh, why aren't we like as loving as the Acts Church or like committed or like more perfect. Acts Church wasn't great, by the way. There's these people coming in and they're like lying and stuff and God has to like kill them on the spot and like, you know, I don't know. It's this crazy stuff. They didn't go evangelize. That's why God had to bring persecution to spread the church out. Anyway, let me just say this. Instead of being fixated on what's lacking, 
Think of all we have access to in the Word of God and the indwelling presence of God in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what's amazing. Right? God is per- Church isn't perfect, but God is perfect. And he's given us so much. The Word of God in conjunction with the Spirit is it's, it's paramount in conjunction with the Spirit. I have to say that part because sometimes we leave that out. It's paramount to understanding how God works and what he's doing in our lives. Implication number two, and this is for those of us who either are cessationists or lean more that way. We need to lean into, we need to lean into as much as we can the power of the Holy Spirit. So I was at Urbana, right, in 2003. I think I've told you guys this before, but I was at this prayer seminar. Now, remember where I came from in high school. I went through that crazy stuff, and since then, I really tried to stay away from that. So I go to this prayer seminar. Uh, Urbana is a mission conference, by the way, if you guys don't know what it is. And so I'm at this missions conference. I want to, and at this point in my life, I wanted to be a missionary. So I'm, I'm at this conference, and I like, I really want to learn how to have a vibrant prayer life. So I go to this it's called Prayer Fields, right, with Vicki Porterfield, I remember. Right, this is, this is like 15 years ago. I'm sitting there, and she's talking about the crazy stories that happen through prayer. And like the last 10 minutes of her seminar, it's like an hour long, last 10 minutes. She's like, and this is like, this is a hall filled with hundreds of people, okay? And the last 10 minutes, she's like, by the way, I feel like when I pray in tongues, it's like more powerful. You know, she's like, and she's like trying to be, clear about, you know, I'm not saying you, you need that gift to be saved, which is what some charismatics believe, that the, the gift of tongues or some of these miraculous gifts appearing at this, what's like kind of a, the idea of a second baptism in the Holy Spirit apart from salvation, like that, that actually is necessary to prove that you actually are saved. So that is, I would say, a heretical teaching, and that's not, you know, most of the, the people within doctrinal Christianity who even are charismatic, do not believe that. But there are some people, I would say, outside that kind of hold that view. So she's trying to be clear. Like, she's not saying you have to be, you have to have tongues to be a Christian. She's not saying anything like that. But she's just saying, like, there's something about praying that way that's powerful. So at the end of the seminar, right, she goes, if you want tongues, come up and I'll give it to you. Basically, that's, that's what she said. Like, she's like, you know, and I'm just like, she's trying to, she's saying it really in a way that's not like, trying to be like, I'm giving it, but she's like, you know, I'll pray for you, and, and I've done this before, and many people have received the gift of tongues doing this, right? Because the Bible says, and in fact, the Bible says, you know, ask for these gifts, right? So I'm sitting there at the end of the seminar, right? And people are going to, like, line up for the gift of tongues, right? And I'm like, should I go up there? <laughs> you know, like, should I go get tongues right now? It's like, that sounds good, you know? Sounds cool, right? Like she's telling these stories about people and they're like doing stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have the gift of tongues. You know, maybe I could get the gift of tongues if I go up there. Now, I didn't go, right? At the end, of the, like the line was long and stuff, you know, and I, I tried to kind of like justify it in my mind. Like, ah, you know, I don't know. Like, do I really believe this or not? Like, what if I don't get it? You know, am I just like a failure? You know, or so, so I was like, ah, I don't, I don't want to go through that. So I just left, right? But I thought about it, and here's the thing, because I do, I do believe that gift exists, right, theologically, and I think that's borne out in the Bible, but then why didn't I go for it then? You know, like, what's the harm? I didn't, because I was scared. 
That's the, that's the bottom line, right? At that time, I was just scared, and I was just like, ah, oh, you know. It's very interesting, like, because like, I, I remember, because John Piper talks about this a lot. He's like, I don't have the gift of tongues, but, like, I wish I did, and, like, I pray for it and stuff. And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> you know, like, I don't pray for that because I'm, I'm like, w- sometimes I'm, like, weirded out by it. So I don't, you know, should I, should I be going? At- well, the thing is, though, the Holy Spirit is referenced, like, over a hundred times just in the letters of Paul. Yet, how much of the Holy Spirit is a part of your normal, everyday spiritual life? Do you know why, at least, I'll just say for me, okay, do you know why I don't engage the Holy Spirit a lot? Because I'm scared. Because I'm scared of what the Holy Spirit will say. Right? The Bible, in many ways, is more controllable than the Holy Spirit. Like, the Holy Spirit's, you know, like, Pentecost, I do not think is normative. But do I think that God could do that if he wanted to. Like, I don't think he will, but I think he could. And that's kind of freaky, honestly. Like, being in the, in the presence of when God brings something down in power, it's a little bit scary because it's outside of what's normal. Right? It's, it's supernatural. Part of it is, like, that's why we don't pray for people to be healed sometimes. I mean, you'll pray for it if you definitely know they're going to be healed, right? Like, like, like a cold. Like, oh, well, they're going to get healed, so I might as well pray that God will speed it up a little bit, right? But like when someone has cancer, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what I should pray. I don't know if I should pray that they be healed. I don't know if I should pray that God's will will be done. I don't know if I should pray for this or pray for that. Because we get scared. We get scared that, one, if something happens in power, it's crazy sometimes. I mean, it puts you in your place. And two, you're scared that maybe God won't do it. That also is scary. Because what does that mean? What's clear in the Bible is that the Spirit is not subject to us. Right? So anyone who claims that they have the gift of prophecy and they can do it on command, or, you know, healing, and they can do it on command, like the, the TBN guys who put a handkerchief, you know, on, literally on the camera, and they're like, touch your screen and you'll be healed. That's a, that's a really bad, you know, exegetical interpretation of Paul's, of somebody getting healed from touching Paul's handkerchief. That's, that's, you know, we can't control that. We can't, it's not a, it's not a mutant power, right? It's not like you can just be like, oh, I'm going to do it now. No, it's like God just does it. You can't control it. And that's good. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Because he's beyond your control. He's beyond the scope of what, like, I was, you know, I was in the ER on, on Friday. Boomi was there last night because Micah has had a, he's had a fever, like, for, like, three days, like, 105, over 105. And so, you know, like, I'm there, you know, it's the middle of the night, he threw up, you know, and then he's like, he feels bad, he's crying, and he's like, oh, my stomach hurts, you know, like, I need to, like, we're like, what should we do? He had, like, fever all day, so we're like, okay, we need to take him to the hospital now, so we take him to the ER, you know, we're sitting there, and it's just like, you know, whenever things like that happen, right, 
It's like this, it's like a reminder that, like, of th- that things like this can happen. You know, and we tend to get worried and nervous, you know, and anxious. And we can also kind of lament that happening. And, and that's like understandable, by the way. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, this is obviously something not planned. It's all of a sudden happened. But there is also a sense that when things like that happen, it's like because we feel like we're losing control. Do you ever feel like that? Something happens that you didn't plan on happening, whether that's like you get sick or you don't get a job, you know, you expected to get or some some plan in your life. Something was supposed to go a certain way and it just hasn't happened that way. And what you think is I'm losing control of my life. But the truth is, it's not that you're losing control. It's that you never had control to begin with. You're just being reminded of that. Right? Like, like locks can't guarantee your safety. Savings can't guarantee your security. Doctors can't guarantee your health. They can give you the illusion that you have control over these things. But the truth of the matter is, you don't. You never did. Now, we can, that can drive us to despair thinking, man, I don't have control over anything. Or it can drive you to God knowing he has control over everything. Like I can lament my lost power or I can be simply free to confess, yes, I'm limited. But praise God that he operates outside of me, outside of my limits. Praise God that he's not limited by me. And praise God that we have access to the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and testifies to us that God is with us. So look, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like open but cautious. I don't like that terminology. I think what we should be rather is seeking and testing. Right? Because the idea of being open to miraculous, Miracles or miraculous gifts or even just generally the Holy Spirit, which is what ends up happening. is like saying, yeah, God, if you want to do something in my life, I guess you can. You know, like, you have my permission. That's different than seeking God out and saying, God, I want you to do something in my life. Holy Spirit, I want you to guide me. I want you to heal this person. I want you to reveal something to me actually praying for that and seeking it out. And yeah, there, there may be strange occurrences that we are unsure of. We certainly should test it against Scripture. But if we have no reason to doubt it, then we should be free to follow the Holy Spirit in that way. Finally, I want to I come to... So this is another highly disputed passage, okay, the meaning of this passage by, by all three views. So it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Even as I have been fully known, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these 
is love. Now, this is a famous passage of, you know, chapter of Scripture, really. We skipped the love part, though. That's the more famous part. And we've come down here. And the reason this passage is disputed is cessationists will say that what this refers to, as for knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial shall pass away. This perfect, what they would call it, is the canon of Scripture. So when the Bible was completed, prophecy ceased. So this is one of, now this is a highly, as I said, disputed passage. What the other views would say, continuous views would say is that this perfect is not referring to the completed canon of scripture, but it's referring to the end when Jesus comes back. Now I hold that view and I think it makes far more sense biblically. And I think saying that the perfect refers to the completed canon of scripture is a stretch. There's not really anything in the Bible to make us think that that's what it's actually talking about. Now, there's tons of passages, actually, that I haven't gone over. There's other stuff I actually wanted to say as part of this to clarify this theology. But hopefully you at least know where the positions stand. If you want more information about kind of why and how it breaks down in the Bible, and again, that's our authority, what the Bible says, um, you know, again, like email me or contact me. I can go over this more in detail with you. But what I would say here, as far as our, our third implication, uh, let the Spirit lead you into love. Okay, now this chapter comes sandwiched between two chapters about spiritual gifts, which was a big problem at the Church of Corinth. Because people were like abusing gifts, worship was crazy, there was no order, you know, and people were using these miraculous gifts, and people were speaking in tongues just like all over the place, nobody was interpreting, it was just kind of like chaotic, and then some people were saying, well, I'm more important than you because I have a better gift, other people were saying, I'm not as important because I don't have a, you know, I don't have a strong gift or a powerful gift, they were saying all these things, and in the midst of this entire discussion, Paul gives them what is one of the most beautiful passages on love you know it's such that it's like used to be at like every wedding it's become played out right so we don't we don't do it anymore but um that that that's paul's point right he's saying look all of this stuff actually will pass away you know, at the beginning, he's, he's saying, like, if I can, you know, speak in the tongues of men and of angels, you know, if I could give up my body to the flames, like, if I could do all of these crazy things, if I had all the best gifts, but I didn't love, then it would all be for nothing. It would all be in vain. This is one of, you know, all the spiritual gifts, what they are meant to lead us to is to build up the body of Christ in love. That's the point of every gift. Every gift that we have, whatever the gift, that's the point. Not so that we can argue about it or debate about it. Not so that we can feel superior or inferior to someone else. Not so that we can be glorified or seen or platformed or whatever, like all of these different things. All of the gifts are meant to build up the body of Christ in love. And when we allow the Spirit to do that in us. I think as in, you know, Romans 8 talks about this. 
What the Spirit leads us toward is conviction of our sonship in Christ. That's what the Spirit will lead us toward. He will lead us to this idea that we are loved, you know, by Jesus. I, um, you know, I, I heard John Piper say, he said, the only, the only sin that can be defeated is a defeated sin. Right? Like the only sin that can be conquered is one that's already conquered. And th- this is how the Holy Spirit works, okay? The Holy Spirit leads you to conviction of sin. Do you know why? Because it leads you to a conviction of the love of God given to you in Jesus. That makes you able to confess sin. Because only when you believe that that sin's already been forgiven can you confess it. If you have to confess the sin for it to be forgiven, then you'll never confess it. Because of what it means about you, what it says about you, what kind of person you are for having that sin. But if you believe it's already been forgiven, Jesus has already done it. He's already died. He's already resurrected. That sin is already defeated. Then you can talk about it. That's what the Spirit leads us towards, the conviction of that knowledge of the love of God in Christ. Let the Spirit lead you into that conviction, into that knowledge of God's love. In fact, ask him for that. Spirit, can you lead me into that? Can you convict me of that love that I will be able? You know, because if we let the knowledge and conviction of that love lead us, it leads us into loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. It leads us into loving our neighbors because we are able to know that we are completely loved in Jesus. Let's pray together. And I actually just want to offer a bit of time to pray on our own. Can we just ask for the presence, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit in us? You know, for believers, the Bible tells us we have that indwelling spirit. You know, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, testifying, convicting us, revealing to us. You know, I want to kind of leave it open, but can we just ask him? To do a work in our hearts, can we ask him to convict us of sin? Can we ask him for guidance, for direction, for whatever we are lacking, we feel like is lacking right now? Let's spend some time just going to God in prayer for that. Let's pray.